Good morning, good morning, Facebook family. I'm Coach Deb, and this is Revealing Hill. Thank you for tuning in with Motivation Monday. I have an amazing guest today. And this brother is someone that, you know, a lot of us know, Pastor Xavier Coombs. <laughs> yes, their famous brother in Cartersville, Georgia. <laughs> and it's a pleasure to have him today. But before we get started, let me just remind you, you can't heal unless you reveal. So I need for you to call up your family, your friends, tag them to this amazing broadcast today. Our subject is going to be, I can't breathe. And I know that Pastor Coom is going to come with a word of encouragement for those of you that are feeling all anxious. And those of you that are feeling like, you know, you just had enough. You're ready for 2020 to go on about his business. You know, for those of you that are feeling like, Lord, I cannot do this another day. I'm here to let you know you can. And you're going to hear from someone this morning that's going to encourage you so that you can leave this whole day brand new. Welcome, 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 Pastor Xavier Combs. How are you, sir? I am well. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. And I thank you for the level of honor that you have shown me. Um, that is amazing. And so I, I honor that and I am grateful for that. Um, so I lend my ashe to this and to you. Thank you, sir. I want to make sure I'm not gutting up your name. Am I enunciating your name correctly? Uh, I'm used to people not pronouncing it the best. Um, I'm more anal about my last name because of my daddy. Um, it's a whole family thing, but my, we pronounce it Xavier Coombs. Um, and so I'm used to teachers calling me Xavier. I'm used to people because initially that's how you pronounce it. Um, well, it's a name, and so it would be pronounced French in the French. It would be pronounced Xavier or Xavier. Um, right. But my mom is very adamant. She is adamant about my name being Xavier. So, it's um, yeah, so well, it's who calls you Zay? Well, every um, well, I'm not gonna say everybody. My sister doesn't call me Zay. She, her and my niece call me something else. Um, <laughs> okay. But my mom, my dad, most of my aunts, um, close friends all call me Zay. Um, some of my aunts call me <laughs> one of my aunts. My favorite aunt um, on my dad's side is my dad is my dad's brother's wife. Um, and but she's my aunt. She's more my aunt than some of my biological aunts. And um, my aunt Veal, or as I call her, Aunt Fat, um, she calls me Zay Zay. Um, oh. <laughs> and she's called me that since I was a little boy. Um, she calls me Zay. I mean, I'm almost 40 years old and she still says Zay Zay. And I say, yes, ma'am. And she thinks it's the funniest thing. Um, but my niece calls me Javi or Uncle Javi. And my sister calls me Hav or Javi as well. Because again, that's the play on my name in a different language in French and Spanish. So Javier is my name in Spanish. And so my sister calls me Javier or um, Hav. And that's what my niece calls me too. So well, one thing is for certain, when your name is called, you're gonna answer because you're gonna know who it is that's calling you whatever name it is, but you will not answer to the name you don't know. Am I right about that? That is it, that is it. Um, so I, when people call certain names, I look and, they, and I'm like, who is that? Because only certain people would be calling me that name. And I'm really picky about that. Um, like, I don't like for everybody to call me Zay. I, I don't, I'm not being funny. It's not an arrogance thing, but that's reserved for those people who we have built a level of relationship. Um, Xavier is fine. Xavier, um, I'm not really big on pastor codes. I'm, although I'm now in that office, um, I'm, I'm just Zay. I'm Xavier, I'm Zay. But I feel like Zay is reserved, and I definitely can't let everybody call me Hav because my sister will have a fit 
if somebody else calls me Javi or Hob. So um, yeah, but so Xavier is you know typically what most people would call me. Um, Xavier. Most of my students call me Coons, so that you know, you know that's what my they don't miss not Mr. Coons. It's Coons or Pop Coons or you know something like that. So yeah. Well, you know, it puts me in mind of you know elders yeah. how they are so offended when a young lad or someone dare to call them by their first name. Yeah, I don't care. You come up my first name. No, I'm saying, you know, uh, I'm talking about, they like, no, it's missed to you. You know, you, you, you know how younger people are today. They don't have that level of respect. Yeah. You know, they don't say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir. And none of that anymore. They just yes and no. And their parents don't teach them uh, to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, no, sir. No, is that right? It's not even yes or no. It's yeah, no. Um, you know, it. I, 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 like I said, I teach middle school and high school. Um, and we'll get into some other stuff about that because when we talk about can't breathe, we're going to talk. I know we're going to get into that. And um, Absolutely. Well, let's but, just go ahead and move forward because I'm telling you, I'm excited. Your energy is amazing. And I love that you're so willing to talk about, you know, family. Yeah. You know, because that gives everybody an opportunity to to fill you out. You know, you're passionate and, and, and you love your family. I just think it's wonderful. So uh, now just give us a little bit about your story, though, because, hey, I, your bio is something else. All right. So I am um, the oldest of two children. My, uh, my father and mother um, have been together basically about... 41, 42 years. Um, so I grew up with mom and dad in the house. Um, I grew up with my dad being my, you know, so I, I don't hear, when people tell the stories of black fathers, my story is typically different because okay. my father was there and very active. Um, sometimes to the point it got on my nerves because my friends would laugh at me because my dad would be at events with tears in his eyes recording, screaming out. And my dad has a nickname for me that I do not mention that only he is able to call me. Okay. So he would be in the places and I would know it was him because he would scream that name out and he would start screaming it. And I'll be like, really pop? Really, really daddy? Really? And so um, people, people to this day pick on me because I call my dad daddy. Um, I still call him daddy. Um, and I call my mama, mama. Um, and so they say, you're grown. Why do you say mama and daddy? Cause that's all I know. So I grew up in that situation. I grew up in that situation. I am a second generation Baptist preacher, licensed and ordained. Um, I grew up in church. I tell people all the time. I think the only place I probably spent more time than my bedroom in school was church, um, or, or vice versa. The only place I spent more time than church was my bedroom or school. Um, and so that is it. I have multiple degrees. I mean, you, you read my bio. I went to um, I went to Clark Atlanta, and then I transferred to the Savannah State University. Graduated from the Savannah State University um, in two thousand and seven, and then I went to um, I taught for a few years in Savannah, Georgia. Lived in Savannah, Georgia. Came back home in two thousand and ten, thereabout, and went to seminary at at the ITC which somebody tried to be funny and say it's not accredited, but it is fully accredited. Okay. Um, by SACS and by ATS, my, all of my degrees are accredited. Um, that was a little pettiness. Um, mm. But yeah, I, um, I went to ITC and I have a degree in Christian education as well as a degree in homiletics, which is the art of preaching. Um, and so, yeah, um, that's pretty much my life. I've been a teacher since I graduated high school. I did a stint of different things in between those years of working 
um, and going to seminary and trying to figure out if really if I was going to stay in education. Um, I did a, about six or seven months working in Cartersville in the spot. And we'll talk about that later. Um, and then I went back into teaching a few months ago. And I and I realized that is where God wants me to be. That is the safest place. Um, the old folk used to sing a song by Richard, Mr. Clean White, I believe, who wrote it, who said the safest place in the whole wide world is in the will of God. Amen. And so, um, I, um, being a teacher, I believe is the will of God for me as I'm pastoring and as I'm maneuvering through starting this ministry and doing all of those things. Um, but I do believe that those six or seven months, um, actually it was six months and um, I was a two, I was two weeks short of seven months working there. Um, and that's a whole other story in itself as well. But um, those six months and some change working there was beneficial and was necessary to get me back to the place of accepting that I was supposed to be teaching. Um, but also it was necessary because as you say, I do love my family and to have conversation with my father that um, I would not have had if I had not have been working there. You know, cause I was traveling back and forth from my house in Atlanta and staying there sometimes during the week because I was just tired and didn't want to travel back to Atlanta because of the hours I was working. And so um, me and my father were able to at days just sit and talk, which we hadn't done in years. And so I think it was necessary. I was able to spend time with my niece and pick her up from school while she was going to school, um, able to just hang out with my sister and my mom. And so those things were necessary. So I don't think that it was all bad, but it was necessary as we were talking about this whole thing of I can't breathe, because for me, it was a hard time those six months at the place I was working. And I won't say the name. I never say the name because of legalities and I don't want all that stuff. And I never say people's names um, out of respect, but um, it was a very hard place. I was working as a counselor for people who were experiencing drug addiction. And so um, it was a very hard place to work, not because of the patients, but because of the people I was working with. And it allowed me to see people in a way and in a light that allowed me to also understand that everybody who screams that they got your back really don't have your back and really is not for you. A lot of times people do things because they want to see who you are or see if they can figure out who you are. They're putting you in spaces because they want to say and be able to tell people, I did this for them so that you will, they will, you will feel that you owe them something. People will do things and people will talk to you and people because of who your family is. And so they're trying to get into the connections. And so God allowed me to see that and to understand that and to process that. People will even make up stuff on you to see how you will respond so that they can try to attack that which God is doing so that you can, so that they can have something over you. And so, um, you know, God began to deal with me on that because I, I'm goofy, I am silly, I am not the, the normal Christian preacher, but I am, I tell people all the time, um, I got the Holy Ghost for real with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I got it because I tarried for it. You know, I went, I went the old school while I had to tarry for it and lay at the altar. And the altar was actually in my house, in my dad, in my mom and dad's house growing up at 16 years old, laying there watching videos and listening to videos of um, Pastor Preflo Dollar and Pastor Leroy Thompson, the Holy Ghost 
um, convention one year and watching those videos and received the Holy Ghost. And I say that to say this is that as goofy and as out there as I may sing to people, I got the Holy Ghost. I really believe in that. And the Holy Ghost began to minister to me and deal with me on, um, on the spiritual aspects of what was going on and where I was working and what I was dealing with, that I was not just dealing with people, but I was dealing with three distinct spiritual um, attacks or enemies. Um, and so, <laughs> and so um, I had to deal with that. And so that was necessary because of where I'm going in ministry. I mean, I don't want to say the names of those spirits now. I'll maybe talk about it later, but um, because I don't want anyone who may see this to say I'm calling them that. So I want to be, you know, respectful, but because uh, I know my mama may watch this, my daddy may watch this and other people may see this. And so I don't want them to say he's calling us this. So, but those were three, it was three distinct spiritual attacks. And, um, and I don't want to call them demons because they were not necessarily demons, but the old saints that I grew up around when I started speaking in tongues and hanging out with the Holy Ghost, Pentecostal, apostolic people, they said, if it ain't a demon, it'll do the one come along. And so um, I started, <laughs> I realized I was dealing with these three demons, um, for lack of a better term, because I said, I don't want to call them that, that were attacking me because, but God was allowing it because it was going to prepare me for the next. And not long after I left there and came back, we started doing um, <laughs> these broadcasts, myself and Margaret. Margaret, after I came back to Atlanta, after I left that job and was looking for another job and, you know, God was dealing with me for a few weeks, a few months. And um, long story short, Margaret called me one day and she said, get up now. And I said, first of all, who you think you're talking to? <laughs> and she was like, no, get up. I'm so serious. I'm not calling you as your sister, Margaret. I'm calling you because the Lord gave me a word. And I'm like, man, you better watch who you talk to. But I was like, what you got to say? You know, whatever. And, and, and long story short, she said, the Lord said that you have to start back. And she said some things that I knew it was God speaking. And so we started doing, um, what do we, how do we call it? We call it um, life lift moments while on the men. So she made me start doing my lift moments again. And then she, we started doing together, lift moments while on the men. And literally we have people all over Georgia, all over Florida. And we have people in Kansas and um, the Midwest calling us mm -hmm. and watching what we're doing. And they're black, they're white. And God was literally saying that you went through that because I wanted one to restore some things in your family. But two, I wanted you to be prepared for ministry because some people are just not going to like you. Some people are going to attack you just because of what you're doing. And you did nothing to them but stand for truth and stand for righteousness and tell the truth. And, you know, one of the things that I realized is that the devil typically will attack you in the place that the Lord is trying to use you in ministry. So if the devil keeps calling you a liar, it's because the Lord wants you to bring truth to places. Mm -hmm. So the devil wants to take your authority in the places to bring truth. So they'll call you a liar. When, when you go back and look at it, I really didn't lie. I told all the truth. You just didn't like what I said. So that's my story. So that's been my life story is that I've been in places all day long, all, all the time. I'm a nerd. I like to read. I like to take get degrees. 
Um, I'm probably going back to get one or two more in a few months, um, start on something. I'm keep pushing myself, pushing it back, but it's time. And I'm launching this ministry and I am trying to build this ministry by the grace of God is through God's grace and trying to, and meeting up and building connections with people like yourself that I never would have met. Like um, people don't know that I'm, I'm not from Cartersville. I'm from Atlanta, born and raised, born and raised. My father moved to Cartersville when I graduated high school um, to be closest to the church he's pastoring there. And so I've never truly lived in Cartersville. I've just been in Cartersville at times. I've lived in Savannah. I've lived in Atlanta, but I've never truly lived in Savannah. I mean, Cartersville, other than when I was in college using their address because I was a college student. But, um, and coming back in between times, you know. But yeah, so that, that's my life story. I'm single, no children. I'm a doting uncle who's, and my niece is named after me. So, you know, hey. Right. Her middle name is my middle name, so you know, hey, we well, you know that's that's my life. I'm my sister's friend. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Your life. I don't think so. I'm say, sorry. I don't think so, but people tell me that. Oh, absolutely. I find it intriguing. But of course, that's my opinion. Everything's my opinion. I don't put <laughs> nothing on nobody else. Let me clear the app. That's my disclaimer. But let me just say this before we move forward. You know, I grew up in church too. And Pentecostal church all my life, sanctified church all my life from a kid. And uh, we used to cast out demons. I started, you know, at an early age. And I know that you got to call them jokers by name. So, see, I understand, I understand you got to call a thing a thing and a yes, spade a spade. Yes, you do. So, it never is that you're calling anyone. And I'm only saying this because you are protecting the people that uh, you worked with. And possibly if they hear this, you don't want to in any way um, be, say, be making them feel like you're talking about them. Exactly. Well, now, I've also been heard of hit dog a holler. So let me just break it down to you a little bit. Now, people are not these demons and stuff. We're the, 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 the temples are our host, our houses. You feel yes. me? Yeah, all so with you. You're not talking about a person or people. Mm -hmm. You understand? Oh, it's I the, know this. It's the darkness. Yes, so see, I know this. The, you know that. Mm -hmm. Well, let me just say, no weapon formed against you. God got you covered because, see, what we are, we're in the healing business, honey. Yes, and we can't apologize for that. You understand yes. what I'm saying? Yes, now, I'm sorry if your feelings hurt, you know, because I'm saying something that absolutely is the truth and it's hurting you. I wish you the, right. That's what the truth will do. So guess what? You covered, Chuggerfoot. Don't you even worry. Ain't nothing coming near you. You have made yourself claim. Thank you, Lord. And we send it to, to do what it need to do. Now, let's go into the subject because I know I'm on borrowed time. Let's go ahead and talk about, you know, um, I can't breathe. Yes, ma'am. Now, of course, you know what we're dealing with mm -hmm. right now, you know, we're dealing with uh, the economy. Yes, ma'am. We're dealing with, you know, uh, financial, uh, uh, I mean, financial letdown to a massive degree. I read somewhere today that it hasn't been this bad in 60 years. No, ma'am. You, you know, I teach history, so I'm a student of history. And I would dare say that many people are talking about the fact that this hasn't, it hasn't looked this bad since the Depression. Um, actually going back into before the, the depression. 
um, that what we're seeing is depression era type movements. And if we don't fix it, we may find ourselves back in that situation. Um, I have spoken about the, the ideal of these relations, the, the race relations to me as a student of history, this reminds me of the reconstruction era that we see black people for a while were moving and progressing. We had a black president, we had black mayors, we had black people becoming heads of Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 country, uh, companies. But then all of a sudden now, um, a particular person becomes the president, I don't even like to call his name, um, becomes the president. And all of a sudden now we have this poof uh, and the uncovering of all of this racism and hatred and evil times. And, I, and I've been telling people that I know that I love to do, to do two things, get you a gun and get you a gun license. And thirdly, if you can get, get a part of a black African-American um, gun club. And people look at me like I'm crazy, but you a preacher. I'm a preacher. And I told y'all, I start, that's why I start this conversation off with, I got the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm preach like, the word now. Because <laughs> I'm going to say something that's going to probably tick some people off. But the Bible says very clearly that for everything under the sun, there is a season and a time. There's a well. time to mourn and there's a time to die. There's a time to love and there's a time to kill. And so sometimes you have to protect yourself. And what I hear and what I see both physically and in the spirit, we have to be willing and ready to protect ourselves. And so I've been telling people, get yourselves to, because these people come January 20th when we actually inaugurate um, Joseph Biden. It is going to get real crazy real quick. And so, yes, um, I'm not going to go and I'm not going to take too much time talking because I can talk. Um, but yes, that, so that to me, yes, uh, to answer all of that, to say that, yes, we are in some interesting times. We are in some um, times that we have not seen in, in decades. And I think it's not just 60 years. I think it's going back to, like I said, Reconstruction era time where Black folk were having to run and hide and Black folk were having to protect themselves and Black folk were losing all of the progress or they were trying to take the progress that Black people had made. Um, away from them. I think it's also depression era when we look at the fact that people are losing their apartments and their homes and their cars and they're, and they're not being able to buy food. And so we're seeing depression era type moments. And I think it is time for not just people like us, but I think it's time for the church as a whole to begin to talk about these things and stand up. And we got to do some, we got to do some healing. We got to do some talking. We have to address the Paula Whites. We have to address um, the, the Kelly Lefflers who don't know anything about Jeremiah Wright and are calling him names when I, I've met the man multiple times because I'm a seminarian. Um, he may not remember me, but I remember being in his presence, if that makes sense. Um, I've heard him talk and the man is really an awesome, amazing, humble, great guy who's wise and who is prophetic. Um, in, in a particular way. He's a prophetic type of preacher in a particular type of way. Not the prophetic where I see you moving forward, but the prophetic that speaks to our circumstances and our environment. And so um, when he spoke and he preached that sermon, I invite anybody to go look up the entire sermon and you will see what he's saying. He said something that is not much different than what Martin Luther King said, than what um, Malcolm X, who, who later became Malik El Shabazz, El Ha Shabazz, excuse me, El Malik El, El, El Ha Shabazz, um, 
Um, so that's why his wife's name was Betty Shabazz because he changed his name again. He was no longer Malcolm X, but we just like to call him Malcolm X because we like to live in the place where he was militant. But if you if you really read and study history, you will see that he shifted. But all I'm saying is what Papa um, Jeremiah Wright said was no different than those men that America is going to have to pay for the crimes that America has paid upon those of blacks and minorities and marginalized people. So when you talk about we can't breathe, we can't breathe because their foot is continuously on our neck and on our backs. And so it is much like George Floyd, but it is not just a physical George Floyd, but George Floyd was a physical representation of what was happening to African-American people spiritually, economically, politically, and socially. And so our, your foot is on our necks and we cannot breathe and we're dying. And all we want is our mamas and our daddies to come and save us and help us and reunite with us. And so that's what he was saying. He said, I just want my mama. For a 40 plus year old man to scream that as he's dying means that he's in utter, complete, Breaking. Well, there's another 40-something-year-old man, 30-something-year-old man that we hear that addresses his mama as he's dying. That man's name is Jesus Christ on the cross when he says, woman, here is thy son, and, and son, here is thy, here is thy mother. But he's, what is Jesus saying? Jesus said, I know I'm dying. I'm giving it up. And at this last moment, I want to make sure that I can see that which I know loves me no matter what on this side. And so that is what Black folk is saying. We just want to be loved no matter what. See, mamas represent that love, that unconditional love. And so when these two black men, because Jesus was black too now, anybody who says it doesn't matter, then why are they so busy trying to paint him white and give him blue eyes? So it does matter. And so let's be real about it. Jesus was a black man. He wouldn't have gone to Africa and hid if he, was, if he wasn't black. If you don't like me, it's in the book. It says Revelation that his skin was as burnt brass, his eyes was as fire, and his hair was as wool of a lamb. And so when you, when you look at those descriptions, those are Negroes. That's a Negro, okay? And so Jesus was a black man. And so black folk, black people throughout the diaspora, throughout history, throughout time, all we have ever wanted is just to be loved and accepted and to be able to do the things we, we, we need to do so that we can survive in this world. But whiteness in all of its forms is not, is not having it. And so what we're seeing now is that we're seeing this war. And so George Floyd, George Floyd was just a spiritual or a physical representation of what's happening in the spirit. I, so, totally, I totally agree. I've seen that when God gave me this topic and yeah. I knew you could bring this thing to a <laughs> real realization for the listeners to hear. Uh, continue, please. So, so, and so what we're seeing, we're seeing that people can't breathe. And so I'm, I live in a place, I live in Atlanta and I, I know I don't mince words, but I'm an Atlanta native, born and raised, love it. And, but I live in the hood in Atlanta. I live in a, I live in a nice part of the hood. I mean, a decent part of the hood, okay part of the it's hood. It's community. But it's the hood, right. It's, it's the hood. And um, it has gotten a little bit worse because as, as they're removing and, 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 and rebuilding and moving and building and rebuilding and removing and moving and building, people are shifting again. Um, and so we've gotten some elements in the neighborhood that have not necessarily been the greatest. But my point is, as I live in the hood, I'm watching my brothers and sisters who are struggling and they're finding the best ways that they can to survive because they're trying to breathe. And so they're using marijuana they're using other drugs, they're using alcohol, and I'm not knocking them. What I'm saying is, these are ways that they're using to cope, to try to breathe. They're just trying to breathe. They just Is there to... oxygen? 
It's their oxygen. It's their way to keep them to able to survive. And so when the church doesn't understand that and we immediately mock them and tell them they're going to hell and condemn them, what we're doing is we're, we're, no, we're no better to them than the white man who's holding them down in the first place. So we've got to be able to understand and help them to process better ways to breathe and to find ways to make room so that they can breathe and to get the foot off of their necks and their backs. And so if that makes sense, I hope that that, that analogy- It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And so that's what, that's what I see. And I see it both physically, naturally, but also in the spirit. I see yes. it physically yes. and naturally, but also in the spirit. Um, yes. And, so, and, I, and that's why I started my conversation. I tell my students all the time, Mr. Coombs talks a lot, but I don't, I don't use, I don't waste my words. If I said something, I said it because eventually I'm going to show you what I meant by it and I'm using it to prove a point. And usually by the end of most of my classes, my kids go, oh, that's why you said that. And I just start smiling. That's exactly why I said that. And, um, and so that's why I started off where I was at because God was already showing me where we were going to go. Um, and so when you talked about my own personal moments of Kent being able to breathe, um, I have been very honest about the fact that I deal with depression and I deal with anxiety. You laughed at me when we got over because you was like, oh, you OCD. I deal with levels of OCD. Um, the OCD has not been diagnosed, but the, the depression and the anxiety has been diagnosed. And so I deal with those moments and I deal with those moments and I process those moments and I own those moments so that nobody else can use it against me. Um, if that makes sense. It and does. So, um, there are moments, there have been moments where I didn't know what it was when I was younger because it had not been diagnosed where I could not breathe. And as a result, I, I attempted to do things and I tried to do things that were detrimental because I was looking for ways and spaces to breathe. So I'm sensitive to people who are in this space right now with mental illness, with mental mm. illness disorders, because I understand that although I'm not extreme on the, on the spectrum, I can function, I can go and do things. I'm not, you know, you know, being locked down. I haven't been committed, but I understand how the pressures of life can make you feel like you cannot breathe while mm. you're sitting there taking in air because mm. of what you're dealing with and where you are. And so, um, as I was telling you about, you know, living in, living, working in Cartersville, that moment was hard because it, it triggered a lot of the anxieties and the, and the depression going to work and having to deal with some of the things I was having to deal with. I mean, you know, because I, I grew up in a certain way. And so certain things for me, um, I don't like because I, I'm grown and I'm like, you know, you, if, if you ain't my mama, it's certain things you can't do. If you're not my daddy, it's certain things you can't say and do to me or it's going to trigger me. And because I know in Cartersville that immediately when people see me, they don't see me as an individual. They see me as the son of. I'm very cautious about my response to things. Because if we was in Atlanta in the streets, you get Xavier and not Pastor Coon's son. And so for me having to balance that, that was kind of, that kind of messed with my anxiety and my depression working in that space because they were doing things knowing I would not respond when they realized I wasn't going to respond the way, oh, this is not how he normally is because you want me to respond in a particular way. And when I pop, if I do pop, it's not going to be Xavier Coombs did it. It's going to be Xavier Coombs, son of blah, blah, blah. And so 
those things playing and, and can't be living up to certain things. And so I'm, I know we're covering a lot and I'm kind of moving fast, but- You're doing good though. You're doing good. Those, that type of situation made it hard. And so that helped me to be able to deal with understanding people and processing their own dynamics and their own family dynamics and their own expectations that sometimes is pulling them by the family, but also sometimes pulling them by people who are not in the family, but know the family. And people sometimes are jealous because I've really had, I've literally had people be upset with me because I know my daddy. Mm -hmm. And my daddy is my daddy and he was active in my life. Now people say me and him look alike. I don't think we look anything alike, but I do believe we sound alike and we act alike. And people say, oh no, you don't act, he, he's so much nicer than you. And I laugh because it, I really act just like him. My mama, I, my, my mama, had, when I was growing up, she would say it all the time, you just like your daddy. Oh, you just <laughs> like your daddy. Oh, you just like your daddy. And my daddy would always yell out, it was this, if he was there um, and he heard us say it, he would always yell out this same thing and it would tickle me to, to no end. And I would get in trouble again for laughing at my mama because he said it. <laughs> but he would always say, well, it ain't a bad way to be. It ain't a bad way to be. And I would just bust out laugh because then he'd look at me and wink and go do what he was going to do. And <laughs> I would be laughing because my laugh is like his. It's loud and crazy. And I would walk away and I would be laughing. And she's like, what you laughing at? What you laughing at? <laughs> I, I grew up with my dad in my life. And so people have really... I've had to deal with that because you, you would think it would be the opposite. But no, I've had to deal with the fact that people would sometimes hate on the fact that me and my dad were cool and close and he was active in my life. Um, and so that was a burden to a degree because my friends would say stuff and I'm like, I, I got to ask my daddy. I, I mean, oh no, my daddy ain't going to let me do that. What's your daddy? What you mean your daddy? Don't you live with your mama? Yeah, I live with my mama. Why you gotta ask your daddy? Cause I live with my daddy too. My mom and daddy married. What? Your mom and daddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even had teachers, and my mom, you know, went off on one of them because they made an implication that they didn't that my mom and dad weren't together. And um, what's your last name? She said Coombs. What's his last name? Coombs. What's your his daddy's name is Coombs too. Y'all, we're married. Yeah, we're still married. <laughs> you know, oh, so, you you know you're stereotyped. You stereotyped. know. Yeah. And then when it comes to your friends, that was just a world that they weren't familiar with. You know, I'm, I'm sure that you you went through a number of things seeing that you come from such a secure and stable home, unlike, you know, what your friends were used to. I'm sure that you gave them life, honey, by showing them another side, you know, of things. And that's that's how we play a role in being different, yeah. you know, and it's all, it's all to do with purpose. It's, it's, I, I'll do a purpose. And so um, I grew up where my mom and dad did not let me go play at other people's houses unless they met. My best friend growing up was the daughter, was the granddaughter who was being raised by, um, by him. And his name was Leroy Johnson. You may know that name. He was the first black senator in the state of Georgia since Reconstruction. My best friend was his granddaughter, Melissa. And um, she was one of the few people, if not the only people, that my dad and my mother would let me go to their house and spend the night and hang out and party because my mom and dad had a rule. I had to meet, they had to meet the family and the parents of my friends before I could hang out with them. 
and as it should be. Now, as we get ready to move forward, because I'm going to honor you, I'm going to honor your time. I'm going to honor, you know, being able to uh, go out, you know, um, in a time that I told you that we would, because I'm telling you, you're one of those people that I could just talk to all day, all night. I just believe that we would have so much to cover and we still wouldn't get it done because you're so interesting. You really are. And you have a way of explaining and telling the story. You know how people will sit on the edge of their seat listening to a good storyteller? You are a good storyteller. And I believe that's what makes you such a fantastic teacher. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that before, but we've got four minutes to go. So you help me with this because if we go over, I'm blaming you. Now, uh, let's give me two minutes on telling me how the village play a part in, uh, you know, giving oxygen to uh, our, our, our family, our friends, our neighbors. How do we, you know how when there's not enough oxygen to go around, we, we'll breathe a little bit and then we'll put it on the mouth of the next one. We share the oxygen. So how is it that the village can play a role in sharing the oxygen in, 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 this, in this space that we're in right now? Okay, so I wanna be, I wanna be, I'm gonna start here and I'm gonna get to what you said. Um, I am a Baptist preacher, so I sometimes go around the way. So I apologize y'all if I- Oh been. no, but you, you, you made sense. I know how it works. You know, you got to make sense to what you, that middle place. Yes. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. So you <laughs> and two, she's making fun of me, y'all, because I told her I'm being on time. So she's making fun of, of me. That's why I'm laughing so hard, because she's making fun of me, because she said I'm OCD about time. And I slightly am. I'm usually 20 to 30 minutes late. For, I mean, early for everything. 20 to 30 minutes early for everything, usually, typically. Anyway, we got in it. But, <laughs> but to answer her question about the village, there is, um, when you get on an airplane um, and they take, and you start to ride the airplane, they show you the mask that falls down if you were to hit turbulence or hit something really bad. And so when, when they show you the mask, one of the first things they tell you is before you help your neighbor, secure your own mask um, so that you can get the oxygen you need to oxygen that you need so that you can help them to get the oxygen that they need so that you both have a higher chance of surviving. Um, the way I grew up with the village was that my mom and dad were married. They're still married. They had been together, like I said, almost 41, 42 years. Um, not married 41, 42, but been together. Um, they've been married about 34, 35 years, if I'm not mistaken, if I do the math correctly. And But that being said, I grew up in a situation where it was four generations at any given point during holidays of us in one in one house. My, I grew up with my mother, my mom's grandmother, my big mama, who was one of the biggest influences in my life from zero to about 10. I grew up with my, on my father's side with my great grandparents on his mother, his mother and his father's side. I got to meet my great grandfather, great grandmother on both sides of my father's side of the family. Um, well, my great grandfathers and one of my great grandmothers on my father's side of the family, um, both sides of the family. And so what I'm saying is um, that village cultivated me. So when she says I'm a storyteller, my great grandfather on my dad's side, um, my grandfather, my great grandfather, my granddaddy Willie, my granddaddy Clarence will sit, would sit with us and tell us stories. 
um, and would talk to us. He was like 80 plus years old when I was a kid. And he would say, and he couldn't walk that well. And he had a voice like this. And he'd say, boy. And when he talked though, even like that, the whole room got quiet. And Granddad Clarence would say, close now. It may have been 42, 50, you know, yesterday. And so when I was a little kid, I understood some of those words of yesterday and yesteryear because I sat with them. My big mama, my mama's grandmama would tell me to go to the Shiffero. And so as a kid, I was calling it, my mama would laugh at me because I said, mama, I got to go to the ship brother to get my clothes. And she said, boy, that is a chest of drawer. That is a drawer. Go to the drawer. I said, no, big mama called the ship row. Um, I called the refrigerator, the fridge there, because that's what my big mama called it. She said, go in the fridge there. Or the, and then my great grandma, my, my daddy's grandmama, grandma with a maid would call it the ice box. She said, go in the ice box. And so those stories are, I learned that because I sat with those older people. And they taught me how to embrace that history. And so the village for me was an extension of that. When I went to school, people along the, I would walk to school because of where I lived and where I went to school from elementary to middle. My neighbors would sometimes pick us up and, give, and take us home. Um, if I walked down the street, the neighbors would see me and they would go, you, you, you Marla's boy, right? Yes, ma'am, I'm Marla's boy. Well, you better walk on home and you better get to school because if I, if I see you out in the street too long, I'm gonna call your mama and I'm gonna tell her. And so, you know, they would stop me and talk to me and then stay in the street and watch me walk to my house and go in my house. And then my mama would come and they say, he went on in. I talked to him for a little while, but he went on in. That village built us. I, when I went to church, I grew up at, at Mount from Baptist Church in Atlanta. Um, I couldn't do anything because everybody had the right to, to, to discipline me, not so much whoop me, but to tell me you wrong. And if they told me and I did something bad, they would go tell my mama or my daddy and I was going to get it right there. So that village helps to form our sense of understanding of who we are and our sense of understanding of rules and regulations. What we're lacking is the community has fallen apart and it's not just our, our fault, but it's the fault of those in power that have purposely and intentionally broken up the black family and the black community so that we don't have that strength and that basis because there was a time when the church and the community nobody went home nobody went without and so i'm trying to get you i'm trying to get to my time i'm trying to get through and so because don't take your time sir take your time <laughs> that correlates and that builds that basis for us to be able to get what we need and to go forward. So that community is our lifeline. And so um, the community is everything that we need if, if we build it. And, Afri and as African people, we understand we were communal. And we weren't just communal with people, we were communal with our environment, with everything about us. One of my professors in seminary was an African man. And he said, if you, if you trip over the, over the rock, it is because the rock is trying to teach you that you did something previously and you did not acknowledge the rock's being. That messed with me. That messed with me. He said, if the chair falls with you sitting in it, it's because at some point, something in that chair you have transgressed and the chair is trying to teach you. He said, that is what it is to be African, is that our environment our, our, and teaches us what it is and how we are to interact and how we are to be with each other. And it is how it forms our sense of self by being one of my mentors in seminary, the Reverend Dr. Willie Godman, really Frank Godman. He preached a sermon one day that literally 
made me sit in the middle of the chapel of the place and just cry sitting in my chair. He's And I was screaming and crying because he said that the community is like the, the mirror that you use when you wash your face. He said it is that reflection, that the community reflects what you need so that you can see because you nobody can truly wash their face unless they have a mirror. And the mirror shows you where you're missing and what you're lacking so that you can clean yourself up so that you can be presentable so that you can go out to represent that which you're representing. I cried and screamed like a baby. And so that is what the community provides for us. And when we can rebuild that community and we're no longer angry because you got this and you got that, or we're not, we're no longer jealous because you can do this and you can do that. You got five degrees and you only this age and you got four degrees. And sometimes it's hard. But when we really build a community, the community will help us because the community will push all of us and not just certain ones of us. So that's how the community gives us breath. That's how the community helps us. And so the black community, we have lost that. I mean, economically, we're at the bottom of the, we, we spend the most, but we're at the bottom because we don't spend the money in our own community. Asian people keep money in their community for over a year before it leaves their community. Hispanic people, almost a year. Iranians and Middle Eastern people, a year or better, just like, the, just like Asians. Black folk, it stays in our community less than a week. If you don't believe me, go look at the research. Research proves everything I'm saying. It less than a week and the money is gone out of our community. If we kept that money that we spend, we are, the, we are one of the most adept at spending, but we're the, we are the most inept at saving and building. Oh boy. <clears throat> it's like a... Um... It's like a sealer moment, you know, after you've spoken. And I know that there are others that are sitting still in that space. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, breathing easy, you know, and just taking it all in. This has been just a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And you know, you're my last one for the year. Oh, wow. My goal is for everyone to, you know, go back and look at the past uh, live podcast and also go, you know, on the, uh, the podcast and listen to the radio version for the remainder of the year. But you are my last. And I'm telling you, what do they say about uh, uh, the best? You say the best for last? <laughs> Don't do me like that. Listen, we're going to talk again. We're, we're going to do this again. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, you are amazing. And I shout out to your mom and your dad and all your, the influencers in your life. The quote for this week is, nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. And that quote is from Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn, yes. You know, uh, no matter what you're going through, listeners, this too shall pass. You today have heard the message in quotes. You have heard the message. You've got enough to, you know, to, 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 to feed on for a good, good hot minute. You do. So I want you to just, you know, replay it over and over again. 
use it as a gift to, to, to send it to other people because this right here is really rich. You can feed on this for a while. This is some information that makes you say, hmm. So I, I thank you for being faithful to listening to Reveal and Heal. You can't heal unless you reveal. This is new week, new goals. Thank you so much, Xavier. Sir, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you once again. Facebook, thank you again. Thank you for tuning in always and being faithful and being loyal. My name is Coach Deb. Have an amazing day. You deserve it. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I, I just want to tell you that. Thank you so much. You're welcome.